you've got a lot of maternal energy to give but you don't have to be a birth mother to express that people sometimes are a mother by birth sometimes they're a mother by adoption but sometimes they're a mother to the world so even if it doesn't happen in the way you think it's going to happen you can still you can still change the world this is life at bp conversations with inspiring people with inspiring stories conversation about their life at bp and beyond the world health organization defines infertility as a disease of the reproductive system it affects approximately one in six couples and as many as 186 million people worldwide. Despite infertility remaining a woman's social burden, men are affected in equal measure, with male factor infertility contributing to around 40% of all cases. Infertility can have a devastating impact on people's lives and their mental health, with 90% reporting feelings of stress and depression from struggling to cope with the emotional and physical impact of fertility treatments the deep sense of bereavement associated with miscarriage or failed attempts and for some having to accept they might not be able to have a family in the way they had hoped for the topic of infertility hits pretty close to home for me personally after four exhausting years of trials and losses i finally became a mum i'm one of the lucky ones i had science on my side a great support system and an understanding manager But the reality is far from this experience for the majority who battle this disease in silence. Welcome to the Life at BP podcast. I'm your host Pratibha Rakesamy. This special episode is an inspiring conversation with three amazing people, Neeli, Nikki, and Andrew, who are all on a mission to creating awareness and breaking the taboo of infertility through sharing their own powerful stories. As you can imagine, we go to some intense places in this conversation. So please do check the episode notes for any trigger warnings that you may need to be aware of in advance. Welcome to the Life at BP podcast everybody. How are you all really feeling about this conversation? Excited and nervous at the same time, is that possible? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think that's the same for me. Excited and ready to go. Great. Yeah. <clears throat> I think the same thing just I'm not quite sure what I'm going to say yet but I'm I'm sure I'm looking forward to finding out. It will come. I think for me the the thing is to just keep it together until the end of this uh conversation. Yeah. Can you all tell me where you're from and um what do you do at BP? Yeah, sure. So um my name is Neeli Safavi. I grew up in New York City, but my parents were actually from Iran, so I consider myself an Iranian American, and I've lived in Europe for oh, the last 20 years. So I guess I'm European if if the UK still counts as Europe. Currently, I'm in the countryside with my dog and often my husband, but not always because he travels a lot for work. In BP, I uh, I manage um a social performance and human rights team. within the health safety area um probably the best way to describe it for people external to BP um and then i have actually uh been awarded a new job as part of the reorganization so as of the 1st of january i'll be the vice president for social sustainability so super exciting congratulations oh, thank you congratulations yeah yep hello so andrew khan i work within procurement uh, in BP um and specifically for meetings and events and travel procurement so 
Uh, we usually have a lot of folks traveling the world, hosting live meetings and events and things like that. Um, not so much this year, um, but uh, yeah, that requires a lot of supplier support, solutions to make those things happen, and uh, a lot of governance to make sure we're doing it safely, securely, healthily, and things like that as well. So that's part of my role to make sure we've got those suppliers and solutions ready to go. Um, otherwise, I live in West London, uh, pretty much always have done, and um, yeah, enjoy uh, lots of things outside of work, including sport and um, and running around wet, muddy fields, chasing a ball usually. Sounds good. Nikki. Awesome. Hi, um, so I'm Nikki and I work in learning and development and my job as a learning designer is to create digital learning experiences for our employees. And I live in the southeast of England. Can I ask each of you, why is it important for you to talk about your fertility journeys and to raise awareness about this topic, especially in the workplace? For me, it's kind of the the journey that I've been on. I have opened up a little bit more at each stage. And actually, I realized that it was hugely beneficial to me. It might not be the case for everybody, but opening up and speaking to people and realizing I wasn't alone, wasn't the only one who was experiencing recurrent miscarriages, uh, wasn't the only one who was having trouble with IVF, wasn't the only one who had a million unanswered questions and was going through you know, the pain and challenges associated with not being able to have the family I'd like to have. Um, and so I just thought, hang on a minute, you know, if I'm feeling this way and I'm, oh, the more I open up, more and more people are saying, oh, actually that happened to me. Or do you know so-and-so in such and such department, they've had a similar experience. I thought, okay, we, you know, we've got to do something with this. And so um, that's what led me to actually trying to find some other people who were like-minded and having similar issues. It just helps so much for me to talk about it and also to know that by talking about it, I might be helping other people who perhaps haven't opened up. They may never want to open up, but at least by hearing my story and my journey, they know that they're not alone. And if they do need to reach out for help, that myself and my fabulous friends and colleagues who are part of the initiative that we'll tell you about later are also willing to lend an ear. Yeah, for, so from my point of view, I mean, it's that echo what Nilly just said, but uh, the the thought around uh, male factor in fertility seems to be, um, uh, I'm not sure if it's a taboo or just really not spoken, brought out into the open at all. So something that's uh, really important to me is to be able to just share. Uh, I'm fairly open about it. You know, um, it's it's helped me to talk about it um, at the right times to, to people um, who, who knew about it. Um, but sometimes maybe it was the right time for me to talk about it. And I didn't really know who to talk about it so if I can open up that stream for male factor brilliant and uh, and also with my wife as well in, in her workplace uh, outside of our company um, didn't have a great experience so if I can do anything to to to, to ensure that we can create experiences both male female whatever experience you have we want it to be a positive one and have that openness so um, something I can hopefully support with there because I've seen the bad and the good and hopefully we can learn from that well I think I was someone who didn't talk about it, didn't want to talk about it. And um, obviously we have kind of battled through on my own. And then um, I saw Nilly's Coffee and Connect sessions sort of being advertised. And I thought, oh God, I'm not going to that. And uh, a colleague of mine said, you should go. You've got a really positive story. Go and see what it's like. And it was just actually, it was so much better than I thought it was going to be actually talking about it. So... Um, and just meeting so many people with so many different stories um, and everyone's at a different point and but we're all in it together and it's that's really helpful 
And if it's okay with you all, can you tell me a bit about your fertility journeys? When did it start? Um, your particular challenges? And when did it become clear for you that there was an issue that required medical intervention? So um, I followed a fairly sort of straightforward traditional path in terms of uh, meeting my my wife-to-be, getting engaged, having been married, traveling, you know, in our first year of marriage. And then after about a year, we thought, well, let's let's get pregnant, you know, so following kind of a, a fairly standard well-trodden path. And then it, it didn't happen. Um, fast forward probably seven months of trying. I knew at that point that I was never going to biologically father a child. So I've gone from sort of honeymoon period to a slap around the face very, very quickly. So um, that was kind of, uh, yeah, an interesting process to go through. Um, certain numbness came from that um, where, you know, you just sort of, you, you, life was, again, going down that well-trodden path and then it kind of stopped short and it was like, well, what, what do I do now? And, um, you know, I had, uh, you know, we did tests and fairly painful exploratory operations and, uh, and yeah, we were there. So literally without, within, not even within a year of trying, we knew where we stood in a way of, of what our road was going to be like going forward from that point, which in one, some ways there's some positivity in that actually, um, rather than being a sort of a gray area. So that was, that was a positive. We, we, we tried to take as many positives as we could, but, um, yeah, that was kind of, uh, where, where it all started for us. And then, um, from then onwards, we went through the, um, just looking at the, the, the donor sperm route, um, that's probably the most interesting window shopping you can ever do, <laughs> flicking through manuals of, of, of suitors to, to see, you know, where that might come from. And then, um, you know, and they kept it, you know, and, and again, I think from there onwards, it was it was all, you know, my, my wife going through, you know, all of the things that you have to go through an egg collection and, and, and all of that. So it was being there as a supportive role and um, and then sort of, you know, every so often coming back to the thought of, wow, that's uh you know, not not quite the the way we thought it was going to happen. So, yeah, that that's kind of why you know. And going back to your previous question about why is it important to me as well, you know, with with anything that goes through something that um, you know donation or um, adoption or surrogacy, there's there's a story. There's always a story, but there's a story there that will keep on going. You know, it's about telling our children in the right way, in the open way, going forward. And we're still learning how to do that. Um, we luckily have had you know, two beautiful sons um, and now seven and three. Um, so it's about how we build it into their story so that I'm still learning. So this is very important to me to to have uh, and be able to hopefully talk to people and, and find out how they're telling and, and what's the pitfalls and what's the interesting things we'll come across when they're teenagers and, and all that sort of stuff. I think male factor infertility is something that is rarely spoken about. If infertility in general is a bit of a taboo it's even more of a taboo of yeah. men talking about about it so um i think it's super important that your story is heard and and recognized as you know really valid and important thing to discuss uh, and it's okay to discuss in the so, workplace so thank you thank you andrew thank you. a bit like andrew trod a well-worn path of married and let's have kids and then it just kind of just didn't happen and my friends had their first kids and then my friends had their second kids and it was like huh maybe something's wrong and went to the doctor and they couldn't really find anything wrong so just keep trying um and then 
well, my nana died and left me a little bit of money and I was like right we're spending it on IVF that's it I've decided so off we went and then that didn't work and that was absolutely devastating and previously to that discovering we had problems mm. a colleague of mine had adopted a school-aged child and just spoke really positively about it and she always said you know it was the hardest thing she'd ever done but the best thing she'd ever done and I we had lots of chats about what it was like um, so it was always in the back of my mind as something that could work out and so when we decided not to do IVF anymore adoption just seemed a really natural route it took a little bit longer than I was expecting and I raise you window shopping for mm. sperm donors and <laughs> say mm. little catalogue shopping for children <laughs> as like, weird experiences wow. um, but you know wow. we sort of looked at lots of children and when we said no to some as well which was hard if we didn't feel that it was right but then I saw the profile of you know my daughter she came to me and uh, had a really strong connection from her for her from the very first and it's since worked out and she's been with us three years now that's amazing that is amazing i think it's one of those things that i say like why stories are important is because mm -hmm. i remember in my journey it's stories like this that gave me hope that it doesn't matter i will end up with my family even if it's not what I imagined it to be at the start. And I think that is the power of stories because I think it opens up people's options. You may have written off something right at the start, but mm -hmm. you see this and see this working. And immediately it says, I could have that. That is possible. And it gives you hope. And I think it definitely kept me sane throughout the process and took a little bit of pressure off as well. So um, thank you, Nikki. Yeah, Pratiba, I think it's really, really key. And actually, so starting um, our group, which in BP, you know, mm -hmm. that really looks at helping people who are experiencing infertility challenges or fertility challenges, whichever way you want to call it, uh, in the workplace, that has given me hope. It's given me loads of hope hearing the stories of people like Andrew, like Nicola and many others, because I, I still haven't gotten to that point. I, I don't quite have my family yet. Um, I have a wonderful fur baby, my my Jackson, my little uh, mini schnauzer, who is awesome and keeps me sane. He's one year and five months old now, and he's great. I guess in a way he's a child substitute, but I still want to have a baby or a child. And uh, much like uh, Andrew and Nicola, we got married when we did about five years ago now. And we started trying pretty much the moment we got engaged. So even before we got married, and we got pregnant really quickly. And we thought, great, fantastic. And then I miscarried. And I didn't even know that could happen. I mean, I knew it could happen somewhere in the depths of my mind, but I was telling everybody that I was pregnant. I was excited about it. And my husband kept saying, Nils, maybe just, just you know, it's a sensitive time. Maybe just keep it to yourself a bit. You don't know what's going to happen. And I hated that he was right. And then we thought, okay, well, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a blooper. It won't happen again. And we got pregnant again six months later. And unfortunately, again, at the 10 week mark, I miscarried. And I won't bore you with all the stories, but essentially is five miscarriages in two years. The fourth one was the most painful one because that was twins. And with early miscarriages, you don't always see a lot on the screen when you do the scans. You, you see something, sometimes you see a heartbeat, sometimes you don't. This time we saw two looked like fully formed embryos at 11 weeks and it was, we didn't even know we had anything there let alone two 
it was just, yeah, it was terrible. And so at some point we thought, after that one, we thought, okay, we need help. We can keep doing this, but what's the outcome going to be? And so we've been on a crazy IVF journey since then. Although we could get pregnant naturally, we haven't been able to get pregnant from IVF, which boggles the mind. But they think it's a mix of chromosomal abnormalities and immune issues. So we've been working to control all the factors. And I'm really hopeful that soon, as we can get my immune system under check, we can hopefully transfer one of our four four chromosomally normal embryos that we have in frozen storage. And fingers crossed. And if that doesn't work, my plan B is surrogacy. But we'll see. And I also am quite open to adoption. So Nicola might have to come learn from you one of these days soon. Well, sending you all the luck and good energies for positive outcomes. Thanks, Bertilla. There's one thing I do want to mention, though, which mm. um, I think it's really hard, but it, it, it's some of the people even in our group who haven't had the family they want and they've, they've had mm-hmm. to make a decision at some point and mm-hmm. accept that. I think it's a really hard thing, but I do want to mention it because I think sometimes we tell everybody it's definitely going to work and hopefully mm. it definitely will work. Mm. There is, though, that I want to honor the people who've tried and haven't got there Mm-hmm. and say that they're just as much a part of our community and we're just as much there for them. Because, you know, I think that even though I joked, you can have your fur baby families, your mm-hmm. cats, your dogs, your alternate children, your godchildren. Mm-hmm. There's different ways even beyond what we've been discussing today. Absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely right. Um, and And I think the other thing to also acknowledge is that just even between the four of us, we've had our own... The infertility manifests itself in very different ways, but literally, it you know there are a hundred other ways that it it comes up, right? So there is um, same-sex couples who have no choice but to go through fertility treatments to have their families, single men, single women, who mm-hmm. you know are ready to start a family but don't have the partner, but they still have to go through this, and and there's just so many other medical conditions that really affect fertility, maybe cancer or things like that. So it's important to acknowledge that this takes so many different forms. That also makes people feel really, really alone because they may not see enough stories about their particular issue. And I think it's really important to acknowledge actually it takes so many different yeah. different forms. And that's why it's it's really important to tell these stories. So let's talk a little bit about how this journey has impacted various parts of your life? Gosh, I might start with what part of my life didn't it impact? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I know it sounds silly, but I think at first it didn't impact much. You know, I'd, I'd, I, in fact, I was so lucky. I had a line manager at the time who somehow understood this stuff. And when I told, I had told her early on that I was pregnant because I thought I might have to go to China later in the year. And I had signed up to the trip and we had bought the tickets and all of that. So I needed to tell her really quickly. But then when she found out about this, she just said, take the week, you know, my first miscarriage, take the week. And I thought, I don't need the week. I could be back working tomorrow. Take the week. And, um, and so at first, you know, I just, it would happen. I'd take a little bit of time. I'd cry. I'd go on walks, um, you know, and, and on I'd go. And at some point I started to realize I was doing like meditation to keep myself healthy minded and all of that, not just because of the miscarriage, just in general meditation and yoga. And um, I started to realize during the meditations, I would come out with this deep sense of sadness that kept manifesting and this deep sense of grief. And I thought there's something there that I'm not addressing. And I talked to a family friend who's a psychotherapist and she was like, 
you've at that point I've had, I had three miscarriages. She's like, you've had some serious grief and I'm not sure you've dealt with it properly. And she set me up with a therapist who's been awesome. And I've been on a journey with her ever since. I think it's been three years, but just, you know, having that person to talk to has been hugely helpful. So it has affected, you know, my mental health, my happiness. It has affected, you know, I, I, I didn't go for, it wasn't a promotion. It was an opportunity to apply for a job. There were two jobs I actually didn't go for uh, in BP. I didn't put myself out there because I just felt that if I was going to give my fertility journey, you know, enough focus, my, my IVF, it takes a lot out of you. And I just wanted to be able to give it that time. And unfortunately, even that didn't help. I'm sure it helped in some regard, but it, you know, so now I'm, I'm kind of just going, okay, you know what, the IVF, the journey, the fertility journey is there. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pursue my career, but, but, you know, it, sometimes you need to give yourself that time and a step back. So it affected my career. It affected my friendships. Um, I'd have friends who would call me, you know, every other month or every other week going, any news? And I was like, please, please don't, don't say that. Mm. I love you. When I have news, I'll share it with you. But, you know, it, and there were friends who were having, like Nicholas said, babies. And, you know, it was just so hard to watch other people have their children. And, you know, some of those kids are six, seven, eight years old now. And I love them. They're wonderful. I've gotten past that stage. But at the time, it was, it was really challenging. Um, and it's affected my family relationships, too. But it also has positive effects. And I don't want to miss that out. You know, I think I've learned through my therapy, through the personal development work I've done, through other avenues that to really feel the highs of life, to really feel the joys, you also have to feel the lows. You have to allow yourself to grieve and feel the sadness. Because if you cut it off, you've cut off the bad feelings and the sadness, you also cut off your ability to enjoy the good times um, and to feel the happiness. And so I remember when we had one of our miscarriages and my husband and I were at our lowest of our lows of our lows. And it was hard because he was going through his thing and I was going through my thing and we couldn't always support each other through it. And I then remember us just going out one night and just having the best laughs. And I shared it. I shared it with um, somebody whose opinion I really care about and she was like yeah but that's because you're going through it and you're feeling the tough times and then out of that you can have joy and I've discovered so many things about myself through this journey that I don't think I would have ever taken the time to invest in that personal journey had I not had this terrible I guess disease inability whatever it is so I don't just look at it like oh my god why me I actually look at it as okay Perhaps in some way this was somewhat of a gift. I can't say it was a full gift yet. I really can't. I really can't do that. I'm not that strong, but I can say that there were some gifts within the struggle. Wow. Mm. Yeah. I mean, wow. <laughs> Just taking that in, I think. Um, you know, we, we dealt with everything as, as a partnership, myself and my wife, and, and we have done all the way through. But, um, you know, there was kind of a bit of self-dwelling. So we found out, I think, but we've definitely, you know, a no-go for myself being able to biologically father a child just before we were going on a, on a stateside trip to San Francisco for a, a holiday. And uh, we went there and it was kind of, not, you know, you're sort of a bit jet-lagged anyway, but the numbness that we felt going around that holiday and I was processing kind of my, A, the grief that I have of, of the loss of being able to do that in the future, but then also sort of the guilt as well. Um, I was the one that was going to put us on this now path that's different. And um, so I think we had, a, we had a big row at one point on an open top bus <laughs> going around San Francisco. <laughs> but then 
I think to, to Nilly's point about the lows and the highs, you know, that almost sort of scratched that itch that had to happen for us to then move onwards. And it really was kind of a, a seminal moment. It wasn't, you know, we both stayed on the bus, um, but we, 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 we effectively, it was, it was enough for us to say, wow, like, you know, to take stock a moment. And we had, like, you know, a good evening after that and, and the rest of the holiday. But um, I think that, that was kind of my initial, the initial feelings of it all and the impacts. And then going forward, the impacts were probably, you know, more negatively, we knew exactly where we stood with any funding in the in the UK for because there was none. If it's male factor, you literally in our particular place, and I think most of the UK, you kind of no no funding from the government or NHS. So that was a private way, and it was like, well, okay, we're we're in our sort of late twenties, and uh, you know we haven't got you know loads of money to spend. Um, so anything we did have was all on that, and we had to borrow money. Everything went on hold. Pretty much that was our last trip uh, to San Francisco. After that, it was you know no holidays, no renovations to our our house um, that we bought, and it was a doer upper. So <laughs> you're kind of living in in limbo land. You, you're living in kind of complete not not only because you're going down the IVF process and you kind it's always a waiting game. It, you, you felt like you're just in limbo that you couldn't do anything, and therefore you're sort of the life that you crave in normality was was not there either and that brought out all different feelings like anger and and things like that but um to have somebody to go through that with and to share sort of a takeaway night became a big big deal right you know and things like that so um that was that was that was good i think from that point we, we learned more about each other and our relationship was, was so powerful that i treasure to this day and you know we're still learning we've been 12 years married but we we're we're certainly learning more and more about ourselves uh, and but we 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 learned a hell of a lot back then and and that was amazing and that goes to relationships with like parents sisters brothers all had a really good ability of knowing when not to say anything or ask um but then uh, the they found the right time to ask which was was really powerful and then again, yeah, going back to the financial piece, that was that was tough. That was, you know, um, as much as you don't want to sort of label it as money and and the dollars and the pounds behind it, it, it did have to happen. So um, that that was the and the impact upon your life secondary to that was was the hard things I would say uh, initially. It's so true, and the funding that's available is so limited and restricted, Pratiba. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I think if we look at our you know our group, the project we've set up in BP, I can count on one. We've got like. 30 people at least in the core group and 50 people beyond that, I can count on one hand and not even using all my hand how I've really been eligible for funding and support through the NHS. It's mm. literally a postcode lottery as well. And even though we fitted into the NICE guidelines in my particular area, they set a much lower age limit for being eligible for IVF. It is hard. I had to think that because I was spending my nan's money on the IVF, that it was all going to magically work out. It was like, because it was going to be this magical thing that happened. And then that was a real bump with reality when it didn't, because, you know, (laughs) you just think it's going to happen. And I knew lots of people that IVF have worked first time for, which, uh, so I was like, of course it's going to work. Um, But then when you look at the stats, I think it's something like 60,000 rounds in the UK each year and only 15,000 are positive. I think that's roughly those numbers. So, I mean, that's a lot of people going through it. Nikki, you spoke about the fact that you didn't tell um, anybody at work. No. So that kind of takes us into this idea of talking about infertility in the workplace. Can you tell me a bit about why you felt like 
you wanted to do this yourself and not talk about it in the workplace. So this wasn't a BP. I just felt it was going to be really career limiting Mm. to be really open about my struggle. Mm. Um, I did actually tell my manager when we started IVF um, and that was a big discussion with my husband about whether I should or not because he was really against me telling her and I said I absolutely had to because you just don't know when you're going to need appointments you can't sort of book half days here and there because you just don't know quite when it's going to happen because it's all how you respond to the treatments and she was great I mean she was absolutely wonderful and I knew she would be but he had real concerns that it would be career limiting for me Mm. and he wanted to keep it very private as well so I was respecting his privacy about it too so Mm. I think that was hard and it does put up a barrier between you and other people when you don't feel comfortable talking about it because you suddenly start acting a bit weird without really Mm. meaning to Mm. um because you're trying not to lie but you don't want to tell the truth about about what's going on so sometimes you just act a little bit odd yeah it has huge implications of being able to bring your whole self to work and therefore performing at your at your best right for your mental health to be able to be innovative to be able to be creative to put your ideas without you know any inhibition is huge and I think it's quite impossible to do that when you uh, you're dealing with the biggest crisis in your life that you don't feel open to talk about Um, others when did you talk about your journeys with your colleagues or managers how did it go and you know did you feel safe to be able to open up um i i i i did i had a, had a line manager who um was you know we had a sort of a you know really good relationship and um i i shared sort of where we were and what we looked like we were going to have to go and do um as much as i knew at that particular point and uh in a probably in a in a quite sort of good I guess blokey way the uh, he shared that that you know uh, great if if we want to talk about if you need to take the time take the time just you know let me know that we're not all about being at your desk nine till five I trust you to get your work done um, let me know if something's really you know causing a conflict if you want to talk to me about it let's talk about it if you don't want to talk about it let's not talk about it I'll check in you know every so often with you if that's okay but if you shut me down straight away that's absolutely fine and that to be honest for me was like just fantastic you know I couldn't have sort of written a uh, a better kind of request or requirement from my line manager in that sense so I kind of had what I needed I had trust in me which was fantastic and you know the thing that gets me when I've spoken to to Nilly and to Nikki and to others in this team and 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 mostly female is that it could be career limiting uh, on top of you know actually then being pregnant and possibly being away for maternity leave and all the other things that you know arguably in this uh in in the, in the workforce in, in sort of male and females opportunities that are hopefully becoming more equal as we go forward you have this to think about as well I you know it's beyond my comprehension so I was very very lucky if I'm honest. Nilly how were yeah. you, how did your conversations go? So you know I mean I've had a range of life I think I was trying to count I've had four or five line managers in the time that I've been on this journey and the great majority of them have been fantastic um, you know a range you know but um, but certainly you know kind of given me the time I needed, not nickel and dimed it as in like, have you put every single day, you know, is annual leave and, you know, you need to take unpaid leave or things like that. They've just said, look, you work your hours and way more. 
we've had our pound of flesh. You take the time you need. We trust you as, you know, for Andrew to get your work done. Or there were times when, you know, I miscarried. Just don't even think about working. Just take the time. Um, and so I've been really lucky to, to have that. But I've also spoken to people who haven't had that. And it's been really devastating for them. You know, they shared with their line manager that they had just maybe had a negative IVF result, you know, or just had a miscarriage and that the person dealt with it terribly. The best has been line managers who've been able to deal with it as humans and with human empathy. And, you know, I wasn't very open at first. I, I opened up to my line managers because, as Nicola said, you know, I needed the time to go to IVF appointments. But I think the other thing that I really struggled with was, do I open up to my team, mm. to the team members who report to me? Do I open up to people in the wider team that, you know, sit all around me? I struggled with it because I worried that every time I was out of the office, leaving a little earlier, coming in a little late, they might be wondering what I was up to. And maybe they'd then ask me, how did it turn out? Or, you know, and I just had all these kind of thoughts in my head of, oh gosh, I just don't want them thinking about me like that. And I don't want them thinking of me any differently than anybody else. And actually I've now opened up pretty much solidly because so many more people have come out of the woodwork to say they've been through a similar situation. The um, empathy and the understanding and the lack of pressure. And, and that's, that's awesome. So, you know, I've had a range of experiences, but mostly positive and, uh, you know, really thank the line managers I've had for for helping me with that. And as I've gotten more open, the colleagues that I've had who've been super kind and, and understanding. We've spoken a bit about managers that have dealt with it really, really well. Can we all talk a little bit about what not to do when somebody opens up about their infertility? And it could be line manager, it could be anybody, right? Because I think this is a topic that's hard for anybody. People potentially have a, the best intention, but they don't know enough about it. So I think it's probably good to talk about probably maybe what not to say. <laughs> if you just don't think about it, it'll happen. Uh, Go on holiday, really? just relax. <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally agree. I, I would also add, even though we did go this week, oh, why don't you just adopt? Mm. <laughs> because there's no just adopting. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it a time, it? it's a very different journey. It's a very different journey. And it's something you have to be absolutely committed to. It's not a second best. It's an alternative route. Yeah. And it's, and it's funny for some for something, a subject that has got a lot of, you know, uh, there's like a, sometimes a taboo and not people sharing. There's always somebody who knew the friend who had that issue that was something similar and they give you advice and you're like it might be something in it to be fair they're only trying to, they're only trying to do good it's a lot of you know, yes. good, but, and then you're like yeah that's not not anywhere near what we're, we're going through at the moment but thank you anyway it's sweet of you to also say. as a i think as as a line manager one of the things i would say is almost to what nickel and andrew were talking about if it's a line manager don't assume anything. Don't assume that this person isn't up for promotions. Don't assume this person's going to go down because you don't know if it's going to work. Mm. And you don't know they might have a wonderful house partner at home who's going to take care of the baby and, you know, or even not, but they'll manage it. You know, we have plenty of mothers and fathers who have children naturally. So don't assume anything. Um, just give them the space and time and ask them how they want to be treated, I would say. Ask them what, what would help them. And, and be as empathetic as you can. And as friends, like, you know, maybe have the conversation. If, if you're having kids and you know your friend's struggling and say, yeah, I know this is tough for you. What, what would work for you? Do you want to come around when my kids are around or my babies are around? Or 
or do you just want me to come see you without the kids? One of my friends offered that to me and I thought it was the the sweetest thing. Maybe ask if they want to be checked in with, you know, instead of saying any news. It's mm. like, you know, I know it all comes from a place of love. Um, mm. But it's true. Uh, absolutely. And secondary infertility is something that happens a lot, you know, whether you've had to go through infertility issues for your first child or not. And, and you're lucky enough to even think about having a second child, but then you've got either go through the same sort of path that you went through before, or it's all new to you. And uh, that's a whole new thing and a different ball game and a different angle on what you felt and what advice or support was good before, maybe different. So the friends and family have got it, their work cut out for them to find that right line. So don't be afraid of making mistakes, but just, I think to Nitty's point, listen and, uh, and, and ask almost questions to say, do you want us to do this or do you want us to do that? We, I'm, I'm open. And that's easily the best things that have come from, from our friends and family and support. Yeah. And it's just one thing, if I don't mention it, I'd be remiss. I've got this lovely friend who's also a colleague and she just took it upon herself to be supportive in whatever way I needed. And she would send me these messages of support, just a text message. I'm thinking about you or a beautiful photo or just, and it just brightened my day in a time that I was having a really, really hard time. And she was the person I knew I could go to in the office if I just needed a hug. And she'd give me permission to just cry, right? Sometimes you just need somebody to give, hold you and give you that permission to cry and know, you know, it's going to get better. It might not feel like it right now. It will eventually, but it doesn't matter. That person's not trying to make it better. They're just there for you. Yep. And um, I'm so grateful for her and she knows who she is. I'm not going to name her out loud, but. Um... <laughs> yeah. Shout out to this amazing colleague friend. Um Let's touch a little bit about this support group, because I think our listeners from various parts of the world and, and organizations are probably really looking for a support system at work. And I think I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about what this fertility support group at BPs uh, is about, what sort of initiatives we have on there and and. Yeah, just a little bit about maybe how other people can do this, maybe in their own organizations. Basically, I was kind of going, okay, I've had all these struggles. I don't know if I will get to the end of my journey positively. I now know that I will. Having met all these wonderful people, I will have that family some way, somehow. But I just thought I want to give back. I want to make something positive out of all the hardness and strife I've had. And I started looking at these women, men who'd come out on blogs, who'd come out on newspapers, who started telling their stories about infertility, recurrent miscarriage, IVF, you know, surrogacy adoption. I just thought, I also am seeing, hearing more as I open up in the workplace about people in BP who are suffering. And so why don't I start something in BP um, where people can come and open up and talk about the issues they're facing, but also we wanted to make some change. We wanted to kind of raise awareness first and foremost. And so that's the journey we're currently on. But we also wanted to see, can we amend policies to make them clearer? Can we get some more support for people, be it through health insurance and medical benefits or even just counseling? There's a range of things we could perhaps do. And so, you know, there's a bit of advocacy piece there too that we're working on. But I think, you know, as I, I stood that up through through putting out the word to a couple of our business resource groups. A whole load of people came forward who volunteered, which was amazing. And then we held these coffee and connect sessions, which Nicola mentioned that she attended, which were really just informal sessions for people to come and share their stories. Since then, we've had a big virtual event. We're going to have another virtual event in November around World Fertility Day. And I think it's, it's actually pretty 
easy to do. Mm. So in my case, if you host it, they will come. Um, I hosted a couple sessions. I put the word out and wonderful people like Nicola, Andrew, Claire and Dan and so many others stepped forward and they've carried it. You know, Elena, I've I've kind of yeah, I've set the vision, but I haven't had to do it all my own. And that's been the one most fabulous learning for me is um, is that there are other people who will carry this forward and bring their beautiful, wonderful skills. And we can build something great out of that. One of the things that's coming out in November as part of the World Fertility Day is that the, the, the team is putting out the fertility guidelines, especially for managers and leaders, right, on how to deal with it. I think that's going to be super powerful and, and really important because it gives people the tools to be able to have this conversation. So that's, that's one big thing, I think, is, is, is really great from being Absolutely. released. How could I forget that? <laughs> that is key because that's going to make a huge impact. It's got a section for employees and a section for managers. And it's it's just a start on what could help you. If you were to think about one or two things that has really, really helped you cope with the mental and physical strain that comes with this journey of infertility, what would they be? I think it's just finding people you can trust to talk to. Um, so for me, I, I was careful about who I did open up to and people I could really trust. And like you said, people who would just let me cry without judgment and just just be there, which was great. And I thought I was through it and then obviously went to the Coffee Connect group. But I was like, I'm not going to cry, not going to cry, not going to cry. <laughs> I cried, <laughs> but it was fine. You know, It was fine. And actually... It made me realise actually I do have a bit more work to do. I think my, my one would be I'm sort of using a bit of a sporting analogy is like, you know, leave everything on the pitch, put your absolute heart and soul into it. So you come off, cross that white line, you know, well, we put everything into it and win, lose, or draw. And I sort of took that on myself as being especially sort of almost like just supporting my wife. It's like, right, I'm gonna be the control freak around admin invoices excel spreadsheets <laughs> i you know i went to town on it uh, absolutely so that for me was something that i, I you know if I, I i did everything we could i knew that we we're up to date on every bill every invoice everything you know and and then if we could just think about actually just the crazy that we were doing you know using sperm donors to get pregnant through ivf and and, and frozen embryos and all that so all the new terminology you learn we could have the mental space to think about that so I guess that's the sort of one thing that I would take away that helped me was that I, I just did all the admin bits and then you've got time and space to think about that so I hope that helps somebody <laughs> yeah you were you were controlling the bits that you could it's exactly yeah and exactly. went to town on it great it. <laughs> I think no I guilt. did that too <laughs> yeah I'd say um start a group in your workplace um, <laughs> that really helped me um, but no I mean uh, you know that if you if you have the time and the space for that um, and you know what it doesn't even take that much time you, you hold it and they come but I think you know that talking to people sharing being there for others actually has helped me through my journey also hearing the positives of other people's stories and then on a more tactical level meditation there's some great meditation apps out there uh, it's been some that even focus on fertility now there's some yoga that i've been doing that's been really helpful and also controlling what you can control so i've become really quite focused on nutrition because i know that's something i can control and maybe that'll help me reduce my immune system flare-ups and help with the acceptance um and the other piece really is just being kind to yourself it's hard but be kind to yourself, try to love yourself, 
because at the end of the day, life's a journey. And as Andrew said, win, lose or draw, at least give it your best shot. On that note, Amen. thank you, thank you, thank you so much for <laughs> telling your stories. It's it's really an honor to to be able to help tell your stories. I know how valuable that is because in the four years of my journey, all I was doing was crumbling for stories. I just was consuming them. And some of them had nothing to do with my <laughs> reality at all, but it somehow brought me so much um, hope and peace and it, and actually helped quite a lot with this guilt and shame that you feel about not being able to do this on your own. Uh, I think um, it's it's hugely important. So thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>